So in this episode, we're talking about the changes that are coming to Cyber Essentials next year. I'm Mark Riddell, and this is the TechSess Podcast. We publish a new episode every Wednesday packed full of IT and cybersecurity advice to help businesses like yours to make the right decisions and get the best from your technology investment. Make sure to follow TechSess on your favourite podcast player to ensure you don't miss future episodes. So how are you planning to implement multi-factor authentication in cloud services ahead of the coming changes to Cyber Essentials? The point of today's episode is to talk about the technical controls updates in Cyber Essentials. So these were meant to take effect in January 2023, but they've added a grace period for another three months. So we now have up to April 2023 until the new controls come in place, which were actually announced back in January 2022. And it's because this is part of a bigger review, right? Cyber Essentials has been around since 2014. Back in January, probably had the biggest review of Cyber Essentials that we've ever had. And I think it's fair to say that the pandemic and obviously working from home and things has instigated that because the way that we work with technology has changed. Before the pandemic, everyone was in that nice bubble of the office. It was really easy to apply technical controls to the office network. But then everyone went and worked from home and that bubble just burst. And controlling the IT infrastructure, controlling security became a real problem. And Cyber Essentials, I think it's fair to say, found itself a little bit behind the times with the way that people were using their IT and how you control technology. Give you an example. Really good example. In fact, probably the best example I can think of is that one of the requirements for Cyber Essentials was that when you get your router in your office, so everyone's got a router at home, most people just call it, oh, that's my Wi-Fi box. But yeah, it does a number of things, right? One of the requirements for Cyber Essentials is that you change the default password that the router has when you get it out of the box. Now, this was a bit of a great area at home because if you've got like a, say, a BT hub at home, the BT Hub on the back of it would have your Wi-Fi password. It would also have the administrator password, which is a different password. The admin password is one that most people would never use at home because no one ever logs into the router at home, right? Except me. <laughs> but the admin password is what you'd use to get into the settings of the router. Now, under Cyber Essentials, a requirement is if you're accessing company information from behind the router, then the password in that, the default password in that router must be changed. Now, that password, even though it's a unique password that password is technically the default password that you got on that router out of the box from bt or from virgin or from sky or whoever your isp is at home okay so it was really a gray area to say well does that mean that we have to tell businesses that all their staff working from home have to log in and change the password on the router at home because that's going to create a problem because one most people don't have a clue how to do that two they'll probably change the password to something that's less secure than the default password that was on it already because it's a randomly generated password. And three, if they forget that password and some point down the line in future, they do need to log into the router and they can't log into it, they're going to create itself a problem. And then four, the other thing to consider that this is their home router. This is not company-owned equipment. So under Cyber Essentials, though, technically, you should be changing that password. But it was a bit of a great area because the standard was written for you know company-owned equipment, so your office devices. So do we then need to apply that to people's home devices as well? It wasn't very clear, is what we're saying. So one of the changes that came into place was that 
we no, no longer have to do that on home devices, home routers specifically. So they cleared that up, which was really nice. And because, like I said, was a bit of a great area. Technically, you should have done it if you wanted to comply. But it's nice that that's been acknowledged and we no longer have to do that. And the other thing that Cyber Essentials, quite shockingly, didn't include was cloud services. So Cyber Essentials didn't care about what cloud services that you used in your business because the technical controls in Cyber Essentials couldn't be applied to cloud services. It could only be applied to computers that you owned, hardware that you owned, and any server infrastructure or software that you hosted within your own business. The controls weren't updated to include how do you secure, what security should you apply to cloud services. So that was another thing that was missing. So like I said, we've got this grace period now up until April 2023. So I'll cover like the main updates, okay? One of the main updates was that any thin clients included in the scope must be supported and receiving security updates. So thin clients is, if you're using a thin client in your business, you'll know, put it that way. Basically, a thin client is a really basic computer. It runs Windows, but it doesn't run a what I call a full-fat version of Windows. It runs like a basic version of Windows. You get a desktop, but you can't store any data on it. It doesn't install and run any apps. Basically, thin client is just a remote desk. allows you to get a remote desktop to another server or a remote desktop connection somewhere else. So if you're using thin clients in your business, you'll know about it. So they now must be included because they didn't used to have to be included in Cyber Essentials. The other update is that all unsupported software is either removed or segregated from scope via a subset. And probably the most important one that we're probably talking about today is that all user accounts and cloud services are protected by multi-factor authentication or MFA. Some people call it 2FA, two-factor authentication, but it's all the same thing we're really talking about. So the requirement at the moment is that admin accounts for cloud services must have multi-factor authentication. From April 2023, all user accounts for your cloud services must have multi-factor authentication. So that's a bit of a change. So just to clarify, admin accounts must have multi-factor authentication because, of course, the admin account is the real critical one, especially for things like Office 365. I mean, if an attacker gets your Office 365 admin login and there's no multi-factor authentication, they've got full access to the sweet shop, right? They can do whatever they want. They can delete people's accounts. They can change everyone else's passwords. They can set up rules to forward email to their own Gmail accounts they've set up so they can start exfiltrating email and data out of the system. So much damage that can be done. The one thing I've seen quite a lot of actually fairly recently when we are speaking to potential customers, if we are reviewing their Office 365, and this is actually pretty shocking actually, is the fact that a lot of users within the business actually have the full, what we call, global administrator rights, which is like full access administrator rights to 365 on their own user account, like the user account that they're using to access their own email. And Microsoft say you shouldn't do that. And Cyber Essential says you shouldn't do that. In fact, anyone who knows anything about cybersecurity should say you can't do that because your email address is very easy to find out. Right, We're all on LinkedIn. It's very easy to find out someone's email address. So you've already got 50% of the login information if there's no multi-factor authentication. All you have to do is figure out the password. And then you can look at things like, well, dark web monitoring. What if the password that you're using is breached and that password goes in the dark web? And it may not have to be breached from Office 365. It could be breached from another system that you're using online. 
because we still know loads of people still use the same password across multiple systems, right? So if you're using a password that one, it's easy for you to remember, it's probably not that secure, probably using multiple systems and you don't have multi-factor authentication, your email, you really are just a sitting duck for that password to be breached and someone to get access. So how do you fix it? Well, Cyber Essential says that you should only use admin accounts for admin purposes, which means using a separate account is just the admin account. Now, it's very easy for people just to put admin rights on an existing account. That requires not much effort. But what actually shocks me is we've been reviewing potential customers 365. You find out that the IT company has an admin account, quite rightly, because they have to administer the account. We do that too. The IT company hasn't put multi-factor authentication on their admin account to your 365, right? Now, we've had that in place for years because you just obviously can't have an admin account without multi-factor authentication. So for as long as MFA has been a thing in 365, we've had it on admin accounts that we manage for our customers. You just suicide to have anything else. But then you find out that, oh, actually there's three or four admin accounts in this customer's 365. What are the other admin accounts for? And then you realize that, oh, the managing director's got admin rights in his account. And, oh, there's someone else in the company that's got admin rights. And, oh, the office manager's got admin rights. And then they go, yeah, but that's because we like to be able to log in and reset passwords without having to go to our IT company. And then I'm like, okay, why are you doing that? Well, because our IT company takes ages to respond to things. And if we need to change someone's password, we want to be able to do it quickly. Okay. I'm like, there's a few things at play here. One. If your IT company is taking too long to respond to things, you should really think about changing IT company. There's one thing. Two, if you want to change a user's password, you can enable the self-service password reset feature within 365. And actually, if you turn on the self-service password reset feature in 365, it actually puts your Microsoft security score up because Microsoft have a security scoring system within 365, right, that you can see. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a number that you can improve, right, out of 100. But there's certain things you can enable to make that score go up. Allowing users to reset their own password is one of those things. Because if someone comes in on a Monday morning and they've had a heavy weekend and they've completely forgotten their, their email password, why should they not just be able to reset that themselves? Why should that have to come to someone else in the company? Or why should that even have to go to your IT providers? The real question I've got. Because the user doesn't want to have to go through all those steps to do it. They just want to change their password. And if you've got self-service password reset on, they can do it themselves in five minutes. Why should that have to interrupt another member of staff to do it? Or why should that have to be an IT support thing? Changing your password is something you should just be able to do. Because inevitably, people always want to do it at the most awkward time, right? <laughs> they get themselves a new iPhone, right? And it arrives on a Friday afternoon. They get home from work at five o'clock. They're setting up the new iPhone. They get to nine o'clock at night after dinner got a bottle of wine open, and then they said, oh, I'll add my email to my iPhone. And of course, it comes up asking for the password, and they're like, shit, I don't actually know what my Office 365 password is. Send a ticket to the IT support company, change my password at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. Just do it yourself. Like, change it yourself. So like I said, that's something that should be turned on to improve the security score. But first up, I just want to tell you a little bit about the IT services buyer's guide that we have. This is a free document on our website. You don't have to enter any information to get access to it. You just need to head over to www.m3networks.co.uk forward slash buyers guide and you'll be able to click the link 
and get the download. And this is going to give you loads of information to help you understand the questions that you need to ask any potential IT partner in your business, or indeed just go back and ask these questions to your existing IT company. And then you can help find out whether you're being served correctly and whether there's any gaps in the IT support services that you are being offered. Now, let's get back to the episode. And while we're on the security score in 365, other thing that is a really quick win that improves your security score too is to disable the passwords change. Now, I think it's actually disabled by default now. I've not personally set up a brand new 365 account from scratch for a wee while, but I believe it used to be set at 180 days. So it would force people to change their passwords after 180 days. Turning that off actually puts your security score up because I maybe said this before in previous episodes, but Microsoft say there's no security benefit to forcing users to change their password on a regular basis anymore because people don't actually create a new password, just modify the old one. So if you're just modifying a password that wasn't secure to begin with, then changing it doesn't improve its security. The one thing that does improve security, Microsoft say that it prevents 99.9% of Office 365 account compromises is turning on multi-factor authentication. By far the best thing to do. But don't use the text-based one because text-based multi-factor authentication, you know, it sends your text message and then you get the code. Text message, every single SMS, text-based multi-factor authentication can be compromised by the very nature that it's using text messages because not going into it today, but there's examples of where hackers have been able to take over people's phone numbers or change the phone number on the multi-factor authentication so that the code gets sent to them or can basically steal your phone number and stuff. And that's a bit more than we can kind of talk about on this, but that's a whole other episode. But you should use the app-based authentication. So Microsoft Authenticator, where you download the app and you don't have to mess about with codes and stuff because if ever I try to log in through a web browser and it wants to send me the code, it just sends you a notification on your phone and says, do you want to prove this login? You just click, click yes or no. So you don't have to mess about with codes and stuff. In fact, I use an Apple Watch. It actually just comes up on my watch says, do you want to prove the login? Yes. So for our customers, they're going to lean on us to make sure that all the other stuff's covered. The one big thing that is really going to make more sense to the average user and business owner is multi-factor authentication on all accounts. But then people say, yeah, but what if I use a system that doesn't have it? Well, that's fine. If you use a system, if you're using a cloud service that doesn't support multi-factor authentication, then obviously you can implement it. It doesn't mean you have to stop using that service though. It just means you have to list it. So in Cyber Essentials, you'll have to list the cloud services that don't support multi-factor authentication. The real question comes in, well, if you're using a system that doesn't support multi-factor authentication, is it because it's a very niche bit of software that's a really small developer? They don't have a big team and they've not updated their security protocols. But what I would say is that, well, it really opens the question is to go, well, is there a better alternative to the service that you're using? Because let's be honest, for most businesses, pretty much everyone's using 365. If you're not and you're using Google, well, Google supports that too. Everyone's using LinkedIn. If you're using an online account software like Zero or QuickBooks, they will all support multi-factor authentication. Amazon supports it, Twitter supports it, Facebook supports it. All the main accounts support it. The problem is they don't enforce it. So while the feature's there, you've got to go and turn it on, right? It's like when you walk into a room, you know there's lights in there, but you've got to press the switch, right? Unless you're in my new office, because that's all Alexa controlled, so I can just talk to it. You know the thing's there, you've got to press the button and turn it on and then make sure it's enforced for all your users. And the other thing 
that I just want to mention, actually, because I see this quite a lot as well, is that people were turned on multi-factor authentication in 365, but then time goes on, new staff join the company and someone slips through the net, right? So when I'm auditing 365 accounts, I'll go, yeah, you've got 48 users, but two of them don't have multi-factor authentication turned on. And they'll be like, oh yeah, that's the two people that started last month. And I'll be like, okay, that's fine that they've started. Great, company's growing, everything else. But what's the point of everyone else having it if they don't? And it's because it's not been done. There's usually some bullshit excuse as to why it wasn't done. And when it comes to security, those excuses don't carry any water, right? Because it's like, I always say to people, look, you don't have to justify it to me, right? All I'm saying is when it comes to cybersecurity, it's the things that you don't do that will cause you a problem, not the things you do do. So 47 people out of 50 have got multi-factor authentication turned on. Two or three people don't. Guess which accounts are the ones that are going to get compromised? Actually, the answer is probably the managing director's account because they're the target, right? They're always the target because they know that you've got more access to anything else usually within the company, which is why the business owner is usually the danger within their own business, right? But when you explain things to people like that, they get it. They go, right, I understand why I can't have admin access on my own email account. This is why you can't have it. Not because, oh, the guys at M3 say we can't have admin access because we want to be protective over anything like that. Well, it's not that. It's because we're doing it to protect you from yourself. Listen, if you want to have an admin account so that you can go in and change people's passwords, I don't have a problem with that. But it cannot be your email address. We need to create you up a new admin account. And people say, like, if I'm logged in through the website, 365, I've got to log out and log back in with the admin account. Yes, it does. And that slight inconvenience for you of having to log in with a separate account massively protects your company. And that's the problem with security. You can't just make up excuses as to why it makes your life a little bit easier. Because if security is slightly inconvenient for you, it's massively inconvenient for the attackers. There are changes coming to Cyber Essentials that are going to take effect soon. So anyone that's got Cyber Essentials right now, their next Cyber Essentials certification is going to include the changes. So the new version was officially released, like I said, back in January this year. And we had time to, it's going to be taken full effect in January 2023. We've now got this grace period. So all applications that were started this year will use the updated version of the requirements. That's basically what we're saying. The thing is, for most businesses, especially the kind of SMEs, it's not that difficult to implement. I think the reason they've given a grace period is because the big companies, like the companies with thousands of employees, is going to be much more time-consuming and difficult for them to implement those kind of changes. Our typical customers in the kind of 20 to 50 user space, so it's not really that difficult to implement multi-factor authentication for 50 people, but it is for 2,500 people because every single one of those users has to get the app and update and everything else. And the problem with multi-factor authentication, you can go and turn it on. I mean, it's so simple to turn on, right, in a system. But the minute you do that, it's going to affect every single user who's going to now either get a prompt or an email or get kicked out of the system. And then they're going to have to set up the multi-factor authentication. And if it's not communicated to them and they don't know it's coming, then they're like, oh, what's this? Why has this happened? Or they might think that something bad's happened. They might think their account's been compromised because they've been kicked out or whatever else. So it's very easy to turn on, but actually a little bit more complex to actually implement and to communicate it with your users, which is why 
we always plan and do multi-factor authenticate. Like if we take on a company that doesn't have MFA in the 365, we don't just turn on and say, right, there you go, that's on. We'll say, look, it's going to take time to do this properly because we need to basically handhold each of your users through making sure that they get set back up again. Because if we turn that on and every user gets kicked out of their email, what's going to happen? We're going to have like 50 tickets like going, I can't get into my email, right? So that's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to plan it and make sure that we we actually resource it and we do it as a project. It's like any other IT project. It's like we're going to do something that's going to have an impact on all of your users. It needs to be done in a controlled way because, yes, turning the thing on is easy, but making sure that it doesn't disrupt your users from getting on and accessing their email, whatever other system it is, that's really important for your business because otherwise that's going to cause you a problem. So if your business already has Cyber Essentials and you want to understand how the change is going to impact your business, you can book a free review with me if you head over to m3networks.co.uk forward slash meet Mark. And if your business doesn't have Cyber Essentials and you want to get certified in 2023, head over to the same link and you can book on my diary. Texas is an M3 Networks podcast. Find out more at m3networks.co.uk. Okay.